doing something that few people do, and there's a reason for it, because it's really hard on you, and physically and mentally. But once you get your legs under you and your feet and you're good, then it's like, okay, how long can you eat ramen and sleep on the ground? And that's the mental um, part of it that I think is is what a lot of people aren't sure they're able to do. Some people can go a weekend. Some people can go a month. Um, some people can do a complete through hike, but you don't know until you're out there. And after a while, you start to just kind of miss having the creature comforts that you take for granted because what you're doing is you're going without. And, um, and after a while, not having just a shower or a toilet or a bed, it starts to wear on you. And I think that's probably why, um, you know, most people will quit a through hike, you know, they never say it. They never say they quit. They always say stuff like, well, I got what I wanted out of it or, you know, it wasn't my year or they say, or they say stuff like, uh, I have other projects I want to do. It's like, no, 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 be honest. This is one of the hardest things that a person can do. And it was too hard for you. And you fucking quit. So just say that. Just be honest about it. And you never hear that. It's so funny. You know, it's always some other excuse. You know? And uh, so, yeah, but that's the thing is it. Yeah. That just every, every time I guess it's, it really, it, it cracks me up, but you know, um, and I think it's okay to say that you quit. It's okay to say that it was too hard, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. So you don't re- yeah, you're not going to know how you're going to handle it mentally until you're out there for a while. And, you know, you're you're uh, you're beating yourself up. I mean, I went I went from Steamboat Springs, Colorado to Kearney, Arizona without doing laundry. <laughs> it was like, like, like 2000 miles or something. I would do laundry like in the shower with me, but I didn't want to ever take the time to like sit and wait for the washer and dryer to go and I didn't know where those laundry mats were going to be so I would just clean all my stuff in the shower but you know those are like the things that I would have to sacrifice to get it done and I don't think a lot of people would be willing to do that broadcasting from the woodpecker studio in the great state of New Hampshire welcome to the sounds like a search and rescue podcast where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts. Yeah, well, we're going to start from the top, so just pretend like this is the first time you've ever said anything, Cheswick. So, Cheswick, welcome uh, welcome back. (laughs) So, uh, just so everybody knows, we've been recording, or at least I've been recording for a few minutes, but Mike forgot to press record. So, what we've been talking about is Mike's uh, upcoming... Winter Beginner 101 hike coming up here on, yeah, what is it, Hiking Buddies? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you're stressing about it. I'm stressing, but it's also, Cheswick, I feel like it's probably better that we, we, we didn't include you, my comparison to you looking like an Afghan prisoner after you finished your, your Great Western Loop. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah, just take take them up Mount Willard. Yeah, exactly. So I'm hosting this this buddy hike stomp, and you know the whole deal is that it's it's for people that haven't done a lot of winter hiking, or they just have to get new, you know, get more experience. So in my mind, I have this idea that like anybody that has questions about gear or what to do, like we can sort of plan it ahead of time because it's not until January 14th, and then. 
you know, people will hopefully feel comfortable and they won't feel too stressed about like meeting a certain pace or whatever because it's, it's Mount Pierre. So we go up Crawford and yeah. we'll just, you know, take it slow. But like, yeah, 25 people signed up for this thing. So you can't hike with 25 people. So Julie, yeah. who's one of the admins from the Hiking Buddies, she had offered to, um, you know, split the group up. So we'll, I'm sure like a bunch of people will drop out. But, you know, we'll have 10 people or less in, in the groups and we'll stagger the time or whatever and maybe take different routes. But, yeah, Stompy, if you definitely, if you can, if you can help out, that'd be great. Yeah, no problem at all. So this, this is a question I have about that. So is the, is the 10 limit a hiking buddy limit or is it the U.S. Forest Service limit? I could not remember if there was like a, a suggested limit to group size when you're hiking. So I think the limit is only 10 or less when you're in a wilderness area. So technically, you could take like a Boy Scout troop up Crawford Path, I think. And like, there's no issue there. I think from a, yeah, you know, just my own personal situation, like I don't want to be up there with like 20 people, like 10. Yeah, I hike solo most of the time. So I can't even like Cheswick's just horrified thinking about this. Like he's been basically solo hiking for 7,000 miles here. So um, <laughs> But, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that whole thing you're about to do, it's it sounds like a search and rescue. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be. Um, <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah. But it'll be fun. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I feel like it's going to get it's going to be some good material and good experience for uh, for us. But I'm definitely not like a hiking guide or anything like that. So I'll do my best to engage but let's see good luck january 14th i'll be there it'll be good yeah yeah but um (laughs) stomp just a couple things before we get to cheswick um some of the road closures are starting so i think i saw um i think ken mcgray had posted some stuff on the 52 with the view site but there's bear notch road is closed now um zealand is closed and then i think Hurricane Mountain Road is closed, which that makes sense. And then Evans Notch is closed. But I think Evans Notch is closed more for them doing construction than it is for um, the weather at this point, although I'm sure that factors into it as well. So it's it's getting real. Any word on uh, Tripoli? Nothing yet. The latest update that I saw was that there was four roads closed only. So I saw somebody posted from Nash Stream over the weekend. They said that that was still open too. Interesting, because I was in Waterville the last few days, and it was snowing twenty four seven up there, and it's icy, and you know, just the sloppy, sloppy stuff coming in now. It's a whole different world up there. So I bet that's going to close very, very soon. Yeah, I would think this week as well. So yeah, um, get ready for the longer walks if you're doing like Garfield, or if you're going to do any of the Zealand hikes or anything like that. You're going to be in for an extra couple of miles. Yes, absolutely. Stomp, you said you have a message from a listener. Yeah, this is actually really nice. So this is a nice note from at Mountain Gem, N-T-N-J-E-M. Uh, she writes, The other day I rolled my ankle coming off of Champney Falls Trail on Chicora, about two miles from the trailhead. I laid there thinking of all the different ways I could wrap my ankle, given the supplies I have, all the things I learned from your podcast and my experience working in orthopedics. I also thought of a recent SAR story you shared from Chikora. 
I worked up the courage and hobbled my way out using a pole and my boyfriend by my side. Compression socks is something I will always wear when hiking from now on. It helped keep the swelling down on my ankle. So, nice little note from a listener. I'm glad you got out okay, and uh, thanks for listening, and pretty cool. It's always great if you can self-extricate yourself and just make sure you have the stuff you need to pull that off because otherwise you're going to be waiting for search and rescue for quite some time. And in the cold weather coming up, not a good situation. Yeah. And the, over in there, like Champney Falls, like, so you have no cell connection until you get down to the bottom of Route 16. So basically, right. like, if you're in that situation, like she was in, it's pick your poison. Like, either you send your boyfriend out to drive down to Conway to get to a cell connection to call for help, or you guys kind of struggle along together to get out, which to me, I, I pick the struggle along together to get out every time versus like, separating she certainly wasn't going to want to be there by herself like dragging herself out of there while her boyfriend's rushing to get a cell connection interesting hey did you hear that uh, eric todd sweet hit his 100th ascent on the rock pile i did i did uh, you saw a couple yeah. i think lynn had put put together some video and stuff like that so congratulations eric yeah so this guy's been hitting um i don't know if it's exclusively the cog but generally the cog up to the summit and he hit 100 and uh there was a talk about group size <laughs> yeah <laughs> that had to be like 20 or 30 people yeah so anyway yeah congrats eric that's super cool yeah it matter of fact it inspired me to take a look at how many times i've hiked mount washington and i i i, I was able to find 18 when i and i included like the, the road wow. races as well so yeah. there's probably a little bit more but now it got me kind of thinking but <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Awesome. All right, Snop. And then next thing we got here, you had put together a video of Alex Harnold um, yes. doing some hiking. I think he was near Half Dome or, or something like that. Um, but it was a pretty cool video that we'll link in the show notes where he was talking sort of about his mindset on free solos with um, another guy named Magnus, I think. And it was pretty interesting just hearing them kind of talk climbing together. Yeah, yeah. So it's the Thank God ledge on Half Dome, which is like 19 pitches up. And this is a person that tries to do what Alex did, and I guess in the community, to do a Honald is to stand up and turn around on that ledge. And it just gives you a sense of how difficult that is as a technical climber with all the gear and all the anchors and the roping and everything else. And then tying into the Magnus. Magnus is a is an amazing climber he free solos with alex at a different location and it's a neat video because it's very intimate it's just the two of them alex is actually just filming the whole thing as they're free soloing up this this route and this guy magnus is like holy shit like it's just a really interesting thing because they're talking the whole time and they're sort of decompressing and talking about the risk and the narrow margin for error. So check it out. It's a great watch. It's fascinating. Yeah, that's the video that I saw. So it was pretty interesting just watching them yeah. sort of talk shop. But I do wonder, is this guy Honnold, has he, he's got, I follow his wife on Instagram. I see his yeah. wife more than him, which is, she's better to look at anyway. But um He's got like one or two kids now, so I got to imagine like he. Oh, oh yeah, he's toning it down. Oh, I would imagine he would have to, except for this, <laughs> this thing with Magnus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I know, like, the, yeah. I remember with the video that made him famous, like, there was already tension between him and his, she was his girlfriend at the time around, you know, him doing this stuff. He wasn't ready to give it up, but I think that she was ready to sort of take off if he wouldn't, wouldn't Pull stop plug. doing crazy stuff, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And lastly here, we have just snow updates of, like, Utah got, like, 60 inches, where tonight I think New York is about to get, like, two to four feet of snow, so they're actually closing down some of the highways, uh, from uh, big rigs and things like that. So th- I'm hearing murmurs that this is going to be a great season. And Ches and I were talking about uh, snowmobile guiding coming up soon, and we're just revved up. So fingers crossed. Think snow. Yeah, Buffalo's got four feet coming in off of uh, Lake Effect, <laughs> so which will be great. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Hey, we have some donations. We'll just zip through it quick. Uh, somebody donated two. And most of these are birthday wish and wishes, and I have to say thank you very much. Um, and I'm not 54. I'm actually 53, so I don't know where that one came from. <laughs> I Did think you forget? I, I forget how old in. I am sometimes. Do you forget? Oh, sometimes? me too. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. But I, sometimes I feel like I'm 54. <laughs> so we have donations from someone, uh, Shandy, James Landoli, Jeff, um, Bobby OC23 donated, and then this one came in tonight. Paul, this dude donated 20 coffees, and he writes, Fugaki, happy birthday wishes. So I'm thinking, like, what's somebody like <laughs> in him spying on me or something? I don't know where that one came from, but it's a mystery donation from Paul. <laughs> Say hi next time. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so welcome to yeah, no nonsense tonight. We're getting right to Cheswick and stuff. You so you got to turn the show yeah. around. Like, are you turning this around tonight? We're gonna get it on Friday morning. Or are we doing a delay? Oh hell yeah! So you're no, up late no, tonight. I'm gonna stay up and uh, yeah, I'm gonna stay up and put it all together. You're Should be hero. pretty simple though. All right, well, welcome to <laughs> episode eighty three. <laughs> I am gonna keep track of the age of the show here correctly. So, episode eighty three of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This <laughs> week, we welcome back Nick Cheswick. Is it Gagnon or G- Gagnon? How do you say your last name? Yeah, I mean, in, in Canada, it's Gagno. In the states, it's Gagnon, and it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Close enough. So Nick Ches- Cheswick Multiple. is here. So um, Cheswick just became what I believe is the third person to successfully complete a documented hike of um, the Great Western Loop. So we first spoke with Cheswick back in March in episode 50. And at the time he was planning his second attempt on the Great Western Loop. He had made it like 5,000 miles last time, had gotten an injury. So he wanted to go back and and finish it up. So this trail covers a number of long trails, as well as some sections of, I think, open desert and mountains. Um, So some of the familiar sections that people may be aware of is the Pacific Crest Trail, the Pacific Northwest Trail, the Continental Divide, and then it also connects to sections called the Grand Enchantment in the Arizona Trail. So this is an insane hike. Nine states, 12 national parks, more than 75 wilderness areas. All told, Cheswick covered close to 7,000 miles in a little under 200 days. So sit back, grab a beer, and we're going to chat with Cheswick so that he can bring us along in his journey and we'll learn about this amazing accomplishment. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to hear all about this. But um, before we go into the details, we're talking a little bit of beer here. Stomp, you got anything? Yeah, I'm having a uh, Burlington Beerworks Wizard, 
which is a double IPA and comes in at a, a whopping 8%. I was going to bring um, a different one that they make, and it's called Castle of the Clouds and uh, or In the Clouds. So, yeah, what do you got? Anything? I got a Stoneface Brewing IPA. And actually, earlier today, I did have another um, Fieldstone Kumbacha. I had the like the original tea flavor, which was pretty good, too. So huh. I'm trying to stay healthy and then also drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Excellent. <laughs> and Cheswick, are you, do you, I feel like you don't drink, but am I right about that? I, I don't when I'm hiking, usually. Just got uh, it. And now with the surgery and everything, I'm kind of just laid up on the couch. So, um God. I might have to start yeah, back up again because I'm pretty pretty bored just laying on a couch now after not you know after moving for almost seven months straight. So this is a whole different world for me now. It's, it's tough. No it's kidding. Hard. Must be yeah. driving you nuts. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Well, I was just saying that uh, you know the time zone thing has has really messed me up because you know three hours behind on the West Coast, and when I was doing it, I was you yeah. know up between four and five in the morning. So, you know, now I'm falling asleep. <laughs> like this is, I'm supposed to be in bed right now, but I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. We're going to cruise right along here. Uh, as for me personally, I just did a Grand Traverse. I was doing some trail cleaning, but we have some other folks here. Uh, Full Strength Coffee did a sunrise on Whiteface on Veterans Day, just to reflect on uh, that great day. Jackie Hikes, first hike since last Veterans Day after a fracture, where she hobbled out of Manadnock. Nick Hikes and plays guitar did Mount Cube for 35 out of the 52 of The View. And also Mount Cube. Oh, yeah. No, no. Sorry. That's a double. So Shandy did Kearsage North for sunrise. Subi Hikes. Eight this weekend towards the northeast. Sixty-seven. This dude did eight hikes, including Abraham, uh, Crocker's, Bigelow's, Reddington, Spalding, Sugarloaf. Pretty impressive. So that's what we got for notable hikes. If you guys tag us, then we'll uh, give you a prop, and uh, we appreciate it. I think uh, Subi hikes probably gets that one for eight hikes in a weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. And I saw, I think Shandy had posted those pictures of the sunrise on Kearsarge North. That's always a fun one too. Yeah, amazing. For sponsors, we have Fieldstone Kombucha, New England's premier craft kombucha ships to New Hampshire. Check out Fieldstone Kombucha online for delicious seasonal flavors and a kombucha style beloved of skeptics and enthusiasts alike. The perfect non-alcoholic post-hike drink. Shipping available for retail and wholesale. Just get a hold of Emily Sheridan at emily at fieldstonekombucha.com or visit them at fieldstonekombuchaco.com. And of course, Spinner's Pizza for your refresh on the way home from your hike. It's the number one pizza in Andover, Mass. Just off uh, Dascom Road 93. EMS, your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, and education and more since 1967. Check them out at EMS.com. And lastly, at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from the Franconia Notch. Many 4K footers and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. Boom.
Slasher's guest of the week. Very cool. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool. All right. So on to you, Cheswick. So welcome back. Yeah. Um, so you're getting some attention here. So just for the audience's <laughs> sake, um, Outside Magazine just put together an awesome article mm-hmm. about uh, this this completion of the Great Western Loop. So we'll link this in the show notes for sure. But Chesa, why don't you um, just remind everybody a little bit about your background, your connections in New Hampshire. You know, but in the past, we talked about sort of your exploits on uh, Everest Base Camp, the Eastern Continental Trail, that whole deal. So if you want to just reintroduce yourself, that'd be great. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Mount Washington Valley. Um, just basically been a bartender um, for the last 15 years. And yeah, it was uh, the Everest Base Camp Trek was 2008. And that was probably where I got, you know, the hiking bug. And then I didn't really do much after that um, until I turned 29. And that's when I decided to do the Eastern Continental Trail. But that only happened just because of the timing. And, you know, end of the year, you know, I couldn't start the AT. So I came across the Florida Trail and was like, well, I wonder if you can link these two trails together. And that's when I came across the the ECT. Um, So it just happened to be that my first through hike was 4,800 miles. And... So I, when I got that one done, I, I wasn't trying to do it fast. I was just trying to see if I could just accomplish a through hike. And uh, it ended up taking me like 10, 10 and a half months to do it. So I started Miami on New Year's Eve, and I finished October 24th up in Gaspé, Quebec. Um, so that was the first one. And then I think it was 2017, I attempted the PCT. But that was a really bad year. A lot of snow, a lot of fires. We had to go into the Sierras later because of all the snowpack and then by the time we got into northern california all the fires had started and so we were a lot of us were forced to jump around and flip-flop around and i, I don't do that i'm a continuous footpath person you know like mexico to canada georgia to maine or whatever and so um the only way for me i feel to legitimately do a through hike is to do a continuous footpath from one uh, border to the next and so i didn't feel like now that I had to skip around in 2017, I kind of just chalked it up as, you know, bad luck and whatever. And then, you know, I had some injuries. I had, um, I need to do foot surgery and a knee surgery and a shoulder surgery. So I didn't hike for four years. And I was just thinking about, I want to do this great Western loop thing and how great would it be to just accomplish it, you know, just to be able to do it because there's so many variables. It's so long. You have to force a pace of over 30 miles a day. I didn't know if I was capable of doing that at the time. So I just wanted to try and get it done. And when I made it to Colorado, just outside of Grand Lake, that's when I had uh, stepped on a rock and I broke my foot. So about 4,800 miles in and I went home took my walking boot and my crutches, put those away after I think three and a half weeks and I flew back to Denver to try and finish. I knew I couldn't break 200 days at that point, but it was just so hard to leave that many miles on the table, you know, 4,800 miles, 142 days and you feel like you failed. So I wasn't able to get it done too much snow. I, you know, my, 
Achilles was inflamed. I pulled my calf muscle. So I went home and the only option was to redo it, but I couldn't go back to where I broke my foot and finish the last 2000 miles. You know, the thing that makes the Great Western Loop so difficult and so rare to do is you have to do this thing within a calendar year. You don't do it in sections because anyone can do the PCT and the PNT and just link it all. So the challenge is to get through the Sierras and get up to Canada and then go east to Montana and then go south and get through the San Juans before winter. And that 4,700 mile section forces this over 30 mile per day pace. So you're doing all this big high mountain stuff, you know, through snowpack and river crossings, bushwhacking and blowdown and all that. Um, and that's the difference between what this is and what the average through hike is, whether it's the AT, PCT or CDT is, you know, you don't get to have a trail family. You don't get to take many rest days. Um, you're forcing that pace no matter what the weather, no matter what the temperature, um, no matter what the conditions are. And a lot of times, because you're forcing a pace that's so aggressive, you can get into some trouble. And so, luckily, I had a 4,800-mile practice run. (laughs) (laughs) So, I knew the mistakes I made the first time, I I was not going to make the second time. Um, You know, different towns I wouldn't resupply in. I would go to other towns and, and, um, you know, I would do five-day food carries versus seven or eight, keep my pack weight down. And so, all the gear was different. And, um, yeah, so it was extremely difficult, but the only thing that I felt I could do was to do it all over again. And that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but, um, but, uh, yeah, you know, um, it's the only thing that made sense at the time. So yeah, that's, that's why I did it. And, uh, Got it. So then if I understand this, so you you had done the PCT on its own at one time but, or attempted it, and then you did the Great Western Loop attempt for the 4,800, and then this year is when you um, went back and completed the whole thing. So can you can you just summarize sort of the, at a very high level, and we're going to be, I wanted to break this down by sections and then sort of talk a little bit about sort of the logistics of the hike in between but can you summarize the the trail overall so it's obviously you know, there's the pct there's the um the pacific northwest continental divide grand enchantment and arizona trails but can you just from your perspective can you just describe it as as you think of it yeah so i started in nothing arizona and that is a self-made segment And so basically you just have to go through areas to make it to the PCT where you're going to find water sources, whether that's going to be a convenience store, whether that's going to be, um, you know, just any place because that section, the first attempt was 92 mile waterless stretch. So I did a different route this time, which is 74 mile waterless stretch. So 16 liters the first time, 11 and a half liters. I think I carried the second time. Um, so after 286, I think miles, I made it to the mile 222 of the PCT. Now you do 500 miles of desert PCT hiking. And to me, I think that was probably the easiest section of this entire hike. Plenty of trail angels, plenty of places to resupply, water caches, well-marked, well-defined. So you get to, um, Kennedy Meadows in the start of the Sierras, and you've just basically done the easiest part that you're going to encounter. Uh, from there, 
um, it was a lot of snowpack. So essentially from when I got into the Sierras to when I got off the PCT, I did about 1500 miles of snowpack hiking. Um, there were just late season storms in Oregon and Washington and they had a cold spring. And so the snowpack level in Oregon was at 5,300 feet and the snowpack level in Washington was at 4,500 feet and the PCT usually runs wow. at about 6,000. So when we were leaving a, a town or a road, we would basically be a mile in and now we're in snowpack. And so that's a lot of post holing and tripping and falling and breaking trekking poles and just slogging through this stuff. And not a lot of those sections up there are well marked and you don't know where the trail is. It's like walking around the woods in February here. You're just going and you don't really know where you're going to where, where it's going to lead. And so you, you really rely on, you know, your phone and your, and your GPS because there's nothing to tell you which way you're going. You're kind of just wandering through the woods. So after going through the Sierras and after going through uh, Oregon and Washington section, then you peel off and you go onto the Pacific Northwest Trail. And this is a newer trail in the world of through hikes. So it was linked with a lot of roads and in the middle it's got a few mountain hiking sections but it has like a 60 mile road walk and he's got a 40 mile road walk so because the pace got beat up in oregon and washington because of the snow um at the time i was hiking with a kid and we can talk about sloppy joe later but um we knew we had to push big miles so we carried a 32.5 average on the pct and then on the pnt we carried a 40 mile average um and that just leads you to uh, Glacier, Nas uh, Glacier National Park and to the CDT. And then um, from there, you know, you basically are just trying to do the most miles that you can do um, the most honest way of the CDT because it has so many options for routes. AT is one trail, PCT is one trail, CDT is a, you know, there's probably you can do that trail 15 to 20 different ways. And so you just got to make sure that the original guy that created this hike, Andrew Skirka, did uh, 2,450 miles of the CDT. So I knew I had to at least hit that number. So I finished, I think, with 2476.6, and I tried to do as much of the mountainous sections. So I knew I had to hit Glacier, obviously. I had to do the San Juans, and I had to not do the Creed Cutoff. You have to do the big horseshoe around, and you have to follow the San Juan section, the red line of the CDT. So there's a few hallmarks of this Great Western Loop that I feel need to be done. The Sierras, obviously, you want to do, and you want to do the San Juan Mountains, and those are the two checkpoints of the trail. And then from there, you're getting on the Grand Enchantment Trail. Now, this is a route. It's not a trail, even though that's what it's called. So there's no markings that are saying you're on the Grand Enchantment Trail. You're basically using existing trails and forest roads and paved roads and just bushwhacking routes through the desert to link this thing together. And it was the most difficult hiking, I think, some of the most difficult hiking I ever did in that section because it's just covered in blowdowns. Yeah, you didn't get to that section your first time around. So the first 5,000, you were good to go. This last section was where you didn't have the intel either to, to have been there before. Right. Yeah, that last. And I mean, I did attempt to go back last year and finish, but I was way too late in the season. It already started to snow. And if I had tried to do that last year, um, 
could have gotten seriously hurt or, or killed because the San Juans are definitely not a section you want to be messing around in in the late season. And then, yeah, you get into the, the Grand Enchantment in New Mexico and Arizona and you now your water sources that may have been good early in the season from the snowmelt, those are mostly dried up. So now your big concern is the navigation through the desert of the Grand Enchantment section and then getting on the Arizona Trail and knowing that a lot of these water sources and water caches are going to be either empty or dry. So it goes from this whole focus of getting through the San Juans and doing this big pace over these big mountains to now focusing on your water and having enough water to get through the the last part of it. And, um, you know, then from the Grand Enchantment, you get onto the Arizona and you take the Arizona Trail north and that brings you to the Grand Canyon. And then you go into the Grand Canyon and you take the Tonto Trail and the South Bass Trail. And it's a very like zigzagged trail the tonto it kind of runs right along the canyon and it's like uh looks like a an earthquake needle like that's the way the trail is shaped so as the crow flies it's only 20 probably 20 miles but the way it's designed around these long canyon sections it's probably 45 to 50 so once you get out of the canyon then for me it was uh, a 250 something mile road walk now, I could have gone from the Grand Canyon right back to nothing. I think it was like 60 miles, just straight down. But I needed to do 6,875 miles. That's what Andrew Skirka said was the distance. And I couldn't say, well, I did the Great Western Loop in under 200 days if I didn't hit that number. So instead of going straight back to where I started, I actually went south more and down and then went west and then back up north again to complete it. And and to do the the, uh, the total distance. Got it. Wow. So just going back to the beginning of the hike. So you're you fly it in there, and then you're going to nothing, Arizona. So that sounds like that was like, that's like west of the Grand Canyon, and you're, you're looking at like a what a 70, 80 mile desert hike where you've got to carry all your water. When when you start with the gear that you start with, how how physically do you even carry sixteen liters of water? Like how does that even work? So the first pack that I used, I it was a Superior Wilderness Designs pack, and it just had a lot of pockets. My buddy had had it built. We were going to do the Patagonia Trail, and he ended up buying a boat and moving to Washington State. And so he got a speeding ticket. So I paid for the speeding ticket. He gave me the backpack. But it just happened to be this pack that could fit platy bags. So I had, you know, six two and a half liter platy bags. And I was able to put them in the outside pockets and fit them all around. And then I had, you know, my smart water bottles on top of that. Um, but the weight of water, I mean, is, is just, it's, it's brutal. And what's very difficult about it, to start on the loop is you haven't gotten your hiker legs. You haven't broken your body yet. That usually takes anywhere from two weeks to a month. And so you have to do these big water carries with the heaviest pack you're ever going to have for this entire hike four to five days into this trail. And so, you know, I was getting some shin splint pain and some knee pain from that. And, um, but that's more, of what you want to deal with than running out of water because running out of water out there it's one of the scariest things when I mean, you don't know when you're going to get it again we're going to talk about injuries and stuff but it seems to me that the two points where you would be most prone to injury would be the beginning and then the last third of the adventure where you start 
experiencing overuse injuries. Uh, but it began the beginning is interesting too, because you're not quite yeah. primed up for the, the, uh, the vigor of what you're about to start. Right. I mean, there's, there's just certain things you have to, to be aware of. I mean, you, you can't push a pair of shoes because you don't want to spend the money. You know, I would go 500 miles on a pair of shoes, even if they weren't completely blown out and they still had some life in them. I can't risk that because I'm doing such a vigorous pace. You know, I'm averaging 250 miles a week. And so I would always make sure that my shoes were going to be where I needed them to be. Uh, make sure that, you know, I was just dressed in comfortable stuff. You know, um, everything is very specific and it's very specific so that you give yourself the best chance for success. And so I've always had this idea that, you know, I don't care what something costs. If I need it mentally, I'm going to get a steak dinner or if I need a hotel stay, I'm going to get it. I don't care when and where that is. If I need it, I get that. And sometimes, yeah, you would, you'd feel like, okay, maybe this is going to be a pain that um, might go away or it might not go away. I mean, usually on these hikes, when you initially start them, there's going to be some pain in some part of your body that you didn't even think about. You've been so focused on something else. And then this thing shows up and you're like, what the hell is this all about? Um, but usually once your body realizes what you're doing to it, which like I said, is probably two weeks to a month after that, it kind of is like, okay, so this is what we're doing now. But you know, you're doing something that few people do and there's a reason for it because it's really hard on you physically and mentally. But once you get your legs under you and your feet and you're good, then it's like, okay, how long can you eat ramen and sleep on the ground? And that's the mental um, part of it that I think is, is what a lot of people aren't sure they're able to do. Some people can go a weekend. Some people can go a month. Um, some people can do a complete through hike, but you don't know until you're out there and after a while, you start to just kind of miss having the creature comforts that you take for granted because what you're doing is you're going without. And um, and after a while, not having just a shower or a toilet or a bed, it starts to wear on you. And I think that's probably why, um, you know, most people will quit a through hike, you know. They never say it. They never say they quit. They always say stuff like, well, I got what I wanted out of it or, you know, <laughs> wasn't my year. Or they say or they say stuff like, uh, I have other projects I want to do. It's like, no, 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 no. Be honest. This is one of the hardest things that a person can do. And it was too hard for you. And you fucking quit. So just say that. Just be honest about it. And you never hear that. It's so funny. So there's always some other excuse. You know, and uh, so yeah, but that's the thing is it yeah that just every every time I guess it's it really it, it cracks me up but you know um, and I think it's okay to say that you quit it's okay to say that it was too hard but um, yeah it's uh, it's one of those things so you don't re yeah you're not going to know how you're going to handle it mentally until you're out there for a while and you know you're you're uh, you're beating yourself up I mean I went. I went from Steamboat Springs, Colorado to Kearney, Arizona without doing laundry. <laughs> it was like, like, like 2,000 miles or something. I would do laundry like in the shower with me, but I didn't want to ever take the time to like sit and wait for the washer and dryer to go. And I didn't know where those laundry mats were going to be. So I would just clean all my stuff in the shower. But, you know, those are like the things that I would have to sacrifice 
to get it done. And I don't think a lot of people would be willing to do that. Interesting. Now, is the, uh, the so the start location that you picked, is that because, so Andrew Skirk is the guy that, I think he was the first one that did this in 2007 and sort of, he, it sounds like you're sort of deferring to him on the, you know, the, the high level rules of the, the route, but is it like specific that you have to start in that location in Arizona or could you have started at the like Southern Terminus and had an easier, easier start? Well, you, you have, you, your start depends is so much about timing. So, you know, you have to be weary that you're going to be going into the Sierras earlier than most hikers. And so you want to let that snowpack dissipate a little bit, but you can't go so late that you're going to be dealing with the forest fires of Northern California, because those are almost guaranteed now. And you also have to remember that you have to get north as quick as you can and then over and then down through the San Juans before winter. So you're really up against it. So Skirka started in the Grand Canyon on April 9th. Jeff Garmeyer started in Blythe, uh, California on the border of Arizona on April 29th. So I figured I'd just start right in the middle of those two on April 19th. And that just happened to work out for timing. Um, you know, the crazy year for snow up in uh, Oregon, Washington, but um, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. You know, when people are doing short hikes and they're setting FKTs, they're usually going to do like the Daratissima would be something where you can look at, okay, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it in June. I'm going to pick the longest days of the year. I'm going to check a weather window. And if I don't get it done, well, it's, you know, 240 miles or whatever, but they always try and make sure that they give themselves the best chance for success. Because this is so long, the only thing you can really control initially is that start date. And you just hope that you've picked a good spot and a good time because you're going whether you like it or not. And you're not taking rest days and you can't go a couple thousand miles and say, oh, well, I couldn't get it done. So maybe maybe I'll do it another time, you know. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the start of it is just important. Does the timing of where you need to be dictate sort of like because I feel like you approach this like this is business like you're you're not like right. doing the typical what you would see around through hikers where they're. You know they're they're balancing between the hike and the social aspects of it. Like this is very much like I've got a mission and nothing's getting yeah. in the way of that. Is that just your personality, or is that just dictated by the reality of of this loop that you you can't afford not to be that way? I think it's both, but I mean, yeah, you have to approach it like it is work because. You know, my average for this whole thing, I think, was 34.8 miles per day. But to get to that, I had a lot of 40 plus mile days. You know, I had 350s, I think. So you have to approach every single day like, you know, alarm goes off at 4 a.m. You're on the trail at 5, 530. And you got to, so I would always try and get about 10 to 11 miles by 10 in the morning. So I could have like 16 to 18 by noon, which then I'd say about 25 from noon to 10. So I would hike from 530 in the morning to 1030 at night. That was basically my start and my finish with an hour and a half worth of breaks. So the only way to do this is to, to go at it, knowing that you're doing big miles every single day. So, yeah, I mean, I hiked with one kid for we did about a thousand miles together because we were both doing going for the loop and uh but other than that i think i hiked with i think f 
about five other people. Um, we just happened to be going the same direction. And, I, you know, one kid was two days. One person was one day. Um, but other than that, you know, once I left the CDT and even before that, because what happens when you're doing a pace like this is you're going to get to the hiker bubble where everyone's doing 15 to 20 mile days. And you're going to get through that. And then you're going to be so far north that you're not going to see one, anyone anymore. And then I'll go through the hiker bubble of the PNT and then going south in the CDT, I'll catch the, catch the south bounders. And then once I get past them, now I'm really out there. I mean, I didn't see any hikers um, uh, probably from halfway, about halfway through Colorado to the Arizona Trail. I didn't see anybody on the Grand Enchantment section, mm-hmm. you know. And um, if something had happened for me out there, it would have been it would have been really bad because you're so remote and you're dealing with so many things that, uh, yeah, it was crazy. You know, you're just going for days. The only people you're going to see are people that will pull over on the side of the road, ask you if you're OK or <laughs> talking to a clerk at a, at a convenience store. And you always strike up conversations with them because you get so lonely and isolated. Oh, I you bet. Know? And I think that after a while, that that wears on. Yeah. Do you just tell them I'm not okay, but I don't need a ride? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be out here if I wasn't if I was okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it got to a point where you know you don't want to stop. But every time I wasn't moving, I felt like I would I could have done you know a point one or point two up the trail. So I never like to to stop for a period of time and. If I ever mentioned to somebody like what I'm doing and where I started and where I'm at now and how many days, then that just leads into so many other questions. And then it's a 15, 20 minute conversation. And I look at 20 minutes on the trail like that was one mile I could have done. So I would keep it brief. They pull over and say, are you okay?" I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Just hiking. And, you know, they take off. Um, but that's the way you have to approach it. Just uh, before we move on, uh, just about your pace. So you were averaging 30 upwards to 50. Um, what happened when you hit the snowpack? How was your pace impacted and how did that impact you physically? Did you find that like you were exhausted by the end of the day or how was that transition? Well, so I did from Kennedy Meadows to Mammoth lakes trail junction that was going to be my first resupply points 201.1 miles last year i did it in six days and five hours so i wanted mm-hmm. to do better so this year i did it in five days eight hours and 30 minutes yeah. but to do that through the sierras I, I did three passes in one day and then on another day i ran out of food and i did a 47 mile day through that snowpack to make it to um, mammoth junction so oh. the snowpack does affect your pace Mm -hmm. but i mean you just don't stop and a lot of that times you can you know glissade down the backs of stuff and um slip and fall and slide for 25 30 feet and and um you know the thing about the sierras that snowpack section is you know you basically are dealing with the snow about two to three miles prior to the pass and two and three miles on the other side of the pass but once you get past those areas it basically melts away and now you're just dealing with some high river crossings because the snow melt is is happening pretty bad in that area what happened in oregon and washington was you know 
it wasn't about high mountain passes. It was just they got these huge storms late and these cold, this cold spring, cold beginning to the summer. So, you know, we were just walking every day and it felt like it would never end. Like we were pushing, you know, we would get 35s, 37s in that stuff, but yeah. you felt like you did a 55, you know? So the difficulty with it was doing a big day like that through those conditions, but then knowing that you're only going to sleep for maybe five hours and you're going to wake up and you're going to do that same thing the next day. Yeah. And you just hope that you don't break something or, you know, pull something or tear something because it's all you're doing so much is just post holing and tripping and falling and sliding and side hilling and, you know, making sure you don't fall, you know, 300 feet because so much of the trail is just cut out of the side of the mountain. But when there's that much snow, it's covering all the trail. So you're just basically putting on micro spikes and, and hiking these sections that in a normal year would probably be okay because you're walking on a flat trail. Yeah. But now you're on a 70 degree pitch and you <laughs> can't fall because it's 500 feet down to nothing. Yeah. And you're doing this, but you got to try and sustain the pace. Right. And it got very dangerous because we were pushing, we were pushing probably too hard for the equipment we had and where we were, but we were so focused on, breaking 200 days that yeah. we kind of got complacent and uh, we pushed it and we had some pretty dangerous situations. We were lucky, very lucky. And that was my second question actually in, in terms of what you're doing because listeners are sort of a combination of trail runners, power hikers, traditional hikers. What would you say your your style is? Are you running? Are you hiking or what are you doing power hiking yeah i'm averaging 16 to 18 hours of hiking a day but you're not running or jogging no i'm not i I mean basically i'm on the trail probably two to three hours before an average through hiker starts their day Mm -hmm. and when they're pitching their tent at seven o'clock at night i'm doing another 10 miles that's the difference in my what i'm doing is i'm just doing yeah, just longer days. Just longer days, starting earlier and finishing later. I don't have a problem with night hiking. Gotcha. Can you talk about how you select a camp? Like, what do you do? You just basically say, "I'm done," and I'm going to just set up anywhere. Or do you cowboy camp? Yeah. Well, how does that work? Do you, yep. you look for shelters? What's What's the deal with how you manage mm, that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I pitch my tent um, in the desert. I just cowboy. I'm so tired, you know. In fact, I think it was like a week and a half ago, I did a 48-mile day, and I just threw my sleeping pad on the side of the road and just <laughs> passed out at 1 in the morning because I was too exhausted. <laughs> but, yeah, so um, I don't ever – I mean, sometimes if, you know, it's noontime, and I'll look at the elevation profile, and I'll look ahead, and maybe there's a, a, a camp spot um, or a, a creek or something that I, I would like to get to by the end of the day, I'll make that my goal. But if I didn't have one of those and I'm just going, I just basically will go until I hit my mark. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll hit 35 at 630. Sometimes I won't hit 35 until 930. But, uh, yeah, I just would say, well, that's flat enough. Here you go. You can't worry about finding the perfect campsite, you know. I see the sunrise and I see the sunsets, but they're never from a sitting point while I'm cooking my ramen with a jet boil. 
You know, I'm always moving in those times. So where I camp doesn't really matter too much. I just need to uh, make sure that for the four to five hours I'm actually going to sleep, <laughs> I'm going to be somewhat relatively comfortable. But you do those miles, you can sleep on anything. You know, it doesn't matter. So. Yeah. And on average, like how long does it take you to set up your camp? Because like I, I know I just did like an overnight with, you know, with one night overnight. And, you know, it's I've done enough of these things, but like it's a production like to get my I had a hammock and it's like, oh, I got to set up my hammock. And it takes 15, 20 minutes. But yeah, that's your first mistake. So, uh, <laughs> hey, I like to be comfortable. six pounds, six pounds of straps, man. Like yeah. I couldn't even believe that. So uh, it takes me five minutes to set up my tent. Oh, I use the whoopee. I use the whoopee one. So it's a little lighter, but still. Oh, okay. There you go. But yeah, it, it takes me 10 minutes. 10 minutes. If it's a hail rainstorm, it's just, it's boom. It's quick. You know, it in the desert, it's the ground is so hard you have issues with trying to hammer those stakes in. So I found a great stake this time because I went through so many last year bending and snapping just because the ground was so hard. So that's basically the one thing that I care about is I can pitch my tent in anything, on anything, as long as I can get the stakes to go into the ground. And it's the worst thing when you... How about critters? Um, this time... No, well, actually, I hate spiders, and the tarantulas on the Arizona Trail were massive. I couldn't believe it. So for those, like, three days, I, I stayed inside my tent. Because um, you know, I've been stung by a scorpion before, and, you know, rattlesnakes were kind of a concern on the Grand Enchantment because you were walking through such high grass. And I'm doing oh, yeah. it at night and I'm listening to music just to get me through it. So I could have heard, a, there would have been a rattle. They could have bit me. I wouldn't even have seen it, you know. Um, so that was an issue. I almost got sprayed by a skunk. Um, almost walked into a porcupine. The grizzly bears I saw in the Bob Marshall, they were all just taken off when they saw me. Um, because I don't hang my food. I use my food bag as a pillow. So I don't ever, I didn't hang my food once on this entire hike. I just lay my shit right out and I just sleep right there. Um, so I, well, actually I don't, I don't think the grizzly bears like me because I'm, I'm smoking cigarettes. So they probably hate the smell of cigarettes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's funny. That's yeah, half a, pack, half a pack a day. Half a pack a day. That's the secret, huh? That's that average. Was that just like for stress relief or yeah. just whatever? Oh, I've, I've been, I've smoked for 15, 17 years. It's just something I do. So I don't really even think about it. It's a good friend. It's, it, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it, there were times where I was hypothermic or soaking wet or cold or, Whatever the situation was. Where's my cigarette? All I have are those cigs. That's all I have are my cigs, man. That's it. And uh, I only had one fire on this hike. And I started that one um, after a hailstorm on the Grand Enchantment Trail. Um, so it was, I only started out of necessity. Everything was soaking wet. I was shaking. It was dropping into the low, high, uh, low 40s, high 30s. And I knew it was going to be a miserable, dangerous night if I didn't get a fire going. So... Yeah. You know, I was able to dry everything from soaking wet to damp. But, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, what you're doing as a through hiker is not what is not a week. It's not like an extended week weekend hiking trip. You know, you're trying to carry as 
little weight as possible to accomplish your goal. And your goal is to start at one terminus and finish at the other. And to do that, you have to go without, you have to limit, you know, finding the perfect campsite, having fires all the time and, and having all these creature comforts that you could have if you were doing a five mile out and back to a lake, you know, and going home the next day. This is not that. So you have to learn to go without a lot of things and you're going to be uncomfortable because you, you're going to go without stuff that you wish you had, but you can't plan for every situation. You kind of just have to take the gear that you know is going to keep you alive, but you know isn't going to weigh you down and make the hiking miserable. And sometimes it works out and, and sometimes it doesn't. Interesting. So I don't want this to turn into like a therapy session or anything, but like I, I'm curious to understand from your perspective, like you clearly have a high tolerance for, um, you know, uncomfortable activities and, you know, you have a very strong will to succeed. Like there has to be something sort of embedded in you. I think that there's a nature nurture thing here. And I think that, you know, a lot of this is just sort of your natural instincts but like do you think were you always like this as a kid like a sort of very headstrong and and you could really focus on something and you were the last guy to quit on on any activity or is this something that developed over time i think it it developed over time i think i've always been competitive and so you know that was a big part of what drives me when i'm doing something like this one you know um, but I also, you know, you want to you want to know what these other guys that did it before you, what they went through and what it took to have that mental space and that physical um, ability, you know, what it was like. And so I wanted to do it as good, if not better than them. And so, yeah, I think I've always been competitive. But, yeah, I mean, if I'm dedicated and, and, and committed to something, whether that's, you know, whatever it is, I, I go, I go all the way. My uncle actually calls me all or nothing boy because I'm either all <laughs> or nothing with, with well, everything that I do. So, um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't going to be a third attempt of this. It was way too long. Um, it's taken, you know, it's been three years of my life between planning and doing it. And so I knew that I was just gonna, I was going to do it one more time. And I was hoping the trail guys were going to give me a chance. And they did. And I, you know, it, it was hard. But, yeah, I mean, you have to you have to only focus on yourself. You can't worry about what's going on with anyone else. And, and back home, you can't worry about anything but what you have to deal with just that day in that week. Because as soon as you start to daydream and think about, you know, back home and you know, maybe a relationship you have or whatever it is, and you take yourself away from what you need to do on the trail, that's when the things that start creeping in of, well, I got what I wanted out of it. This wasn't my year. I want to, you know, and then you want to quit. So you got to just focus on every single day, just doing your absolute best. And if you do your best, you're probably going to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Absolutely. What would you say was the highest point for you? Like, did you have um, any moments at all where you just like, you know, you met a stray dog that came running up to you or you, you know, you had an interaction with somebody where you were like, oh, yeah, this is a good day. Or was it just all business the whole time? No, I had a few friends that I saw out there that were doing separate hikes. Uh, some 
people that I, I know are on the uh, the the Connell Divide Trail. Um, for me, I think one of the the highlights was when I got back to the spot where I broke my foot because oh, yeah. I thought about what I had to do to get back to that point. You know, I had to fail and I had to work three jobs over the winter and I had to fly back out and I had to do everything I had already done the year before all over again. So by the time I got to where I broke my foot and then when I got past Winter Park or Berthoud Pass where I got off trail, it was like, okay, this is all new now. So I did what I had to do as far as redoing everything. So now we're doing this. So I looked at them as like two separate hikes. Had to do the first part over because it has to be done in a calendar year. But I knew once I got to that spot, then it was like, okay, now we've got 2,000 more miles. Our pace is good. Let's, you know, let's try and, and keep it going. And so, um, so that was a big moment. And then I would say the... The next biggest moment was when I got out of the Grand Canyon, because from there I knew I had 100 miles of forest roads and then 150 or 100 miles or whatever it was of, of paved roads. So I knew I had it. I knew I was going to break 200 days. I could dictate my distance and mileage when I got on roads. So that was a big moment, too. Um, and I don't think it really has hit me what I what I did. I mean, I think it's still going to take some time, you know, this there's like this aha moment. It's like, oh, wow, look what you did. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen for a little bit. But the lowest points were when my uh, hiking partner, Sloppy Joe, uh, fell uh, up in the Cascades. He fell 80 feet into a boulder. And uh, if he didn't hit that boulder, he was going to die. He was going to go about 300 feet down to Jacob's Lake. And uh, there was nothing I could do. I was just sitting there. I was just standing there. I tried to grab onto him, and he the snow he was holding on to broke and he just went flying. So that was obviously a, the most scary moment. Um, and then the Grand Enchantment section, um, the first part of it, and then the, then there's a road walk in the middle, and then the second part of it. Those two spots were very difficult because I couldn't do my pace. And when you're down to like days 170 and you're trying to break 200 days and you don't do more than 20 miles in a day you don't have much time to make that up so you know i lost two, two i lost 70 miles off of my pace on the grand enchantment trail so when that was all going down and hypothermic and hail storms and bushwhacking and blowdowns and getting lost and ripping every piece of clothing that you have i thought oh man i've gone this far and in the last 30 days i'm gonna lose it and I'm not going to break 200 days and and so those were some low points absolutely but hmm. you know I, I got to a point on the Arizona trail where I had hit there was four thunder and lightning storms in one day which was extremely uncharacteristic for that area in that time of year I'm like anything else you know what else you want to throw at me but you know I was ascending up this 6,500 uh, foot mountain and the darkest clouds and lightning and thunder came behind me and I had to pitch my tent in this little cove on the side of the mountain, just pitch it just enough to give me a shelter. I actually kicked a cactus when I was doing it. So the storm is going over me. I'm pulling cactus thorns out of my foot and now I have two options. I could either 
pull out my sleeping bag and just sleep there and say, you know what, forget this 200, sub 200 day thing. I'll just do it whenever I do it and finish whenever I finish. Or I can wait for the lightning to pass and I can break everything down and I can get another five, six miles in for the day and still be in this thing. And so I waited for an hour, waited for the storm to pass. And I was like, fuck it. And I packed everything up and I just sent it. Then the lightning came again oh, and nice. the rain and the thunder. And I'm just like going through all this. I'm like, you know what? Take me now. You know, I'm going through so much. If this is how I go down, it's going to make a hell of a story. I don't care. And I ended up getting, you know, seven and a, seven and a half miles more that day. And then from there, it was uh, the next day. I did, like, I think it was a 32 because I had to resupply. And then I did um, a 43, a 42.8, a 34.2, a 40, a 37, a 41.7, a 41.5. And that got me to the Grand Canyon. And then I banged out like a couple of 30-somethings in there. And then that was it. So that was the big turning point was that that moment. But. You know, Incredible. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, I guess. <laughs> and how um how did your gear change over the course of the hike? I'm assuming like in the start, like you had a plan, like you were going to start with certain gear and then switch up because once you get to the PCT, yeah. it's a little bit different than being in the desert. But can you talk a little well, bit? Well, first of all, <laughs> because I broke changed? my foot, I wasn't fucking around with shoes. I got 13 pairs of the exact same shoe and same color. <laughs> yeah. I was not number. messing around. 13. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, so yeah. these were the Ultra Timp 2s. T- um, so, yeah, so all the same shoe, all the same color. Didn't even want to think about that one. And then, you know, Nashville Pack, they make the best through hiking packs anyway. So they um, they take care of me. This time we used a prototype. They make it now, but mine was a prototype. It's called the Fretless. It was the first one they've used mm-hmm. Uh, with a detachable waist belt so we had talked about this big water carry and their packs don't have waist belts now they do but i needed a waist belt for that water carry just to get that weight off my shoulders so i used a nashville pack i used two headlamps to start um lost one within the first week and the second one wasn't that great i only i don't ever use carbon fiber trekking poles because they break I want something that's not going to break. I need something that's going to bend. So I always use a black diamond ergo with the corked handle. Um, mm. I use the same tent. I use the same tent. Um, okay. Yep. Because tents, through hiking in tents, it only matters how many nights that you use them. It's not like matters the distance. So um, I use the same um, Z-Pax Altiplex. This time I went with a full sleeping bag at 10 degrees because last year I went with a 20 degree quilt and absolutely froze in that three-day snowstorm in the Sierras. So I wasn't going to deal with that. So it was like, add like three ounces to my base weight getting the sleeping bag, but just know that I was going to be a lot more comfortable. I uh, still went with a, a torso pad. I don't use a blow-up pad. Um, so I got the Neo, I think, torso pad, you know, the eggshell accordion kind of thing. And then I cut a couple of panels off. So I literally was sleeping on... I used the same one the whole time, too. It's, it's like a pancake thick now. It's so thin. And uh, it's literally probably three and a half feet long. So just, just from my neck to my knees and maybe even a little shorter now. Um, and then, you know, I don't use any stuff sacks. 
because stuff sacks they what happens with those is you can't get the full shape of your backpack when you use stuff sacks so my sleeping bag goes in first and then my tent goes in after that and then i'll put my food bag in on top of that and that pushes everything down and i got the good shape of the pack now um and so then the the biggest change was i went with um two Nikor 10,000 um, power banks. So instead of using like 120,000, that takes five hours to charge. I had two uh, 10,000s and I could charge those simultaneously and get the same amount of charge in half the time. And so this is where I was really able to streamline my resupply points. You know, I went from like four to five hours to three hours. So I was able to do more miles on those days. Um, I don't use wireless earbuds because that's just another thing you got to charge. Um, I went through three phones. My first phone died in a storm in near Crater Lake. My second storm died in a rainstorm near Levensworth, Washington. So I went through three phones on the hike. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that was tough because you got to re-download all the maps. You had all this music or whatever, you know. Um, and wow. so that's a pain in the tail. So um, I had to do that three times. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't have a stove. I cold soak. So basically, you know, by three, four in the afternoon, I would, I'd have like a one gallon bag of ramen noodles and I would just take an empty jar, a talante jar or whatever, and scoop, add water, add some seasoning, shake it up, stick it in my pack, and then just hike the rest of the day. I didn't like to eat when I got to camp and I didn't want to do a stove because last year I was taking a half hour at the end of my days just to cook. And all I want to do when I get to camp is sleep. So a lot of times, if I noticed that the, the trail was not flat, but fairly decent, I would just eat as I walked. And so, so much of the Nashville pack with the, all of its pockets allow you to eat as you're hiking. So you just have pockets at your disposal and you're just grabbing stuff. And when you're trying to do something like this, you don't want to stop a lot. You're not taking big three, you know, hour long breaks. It was a couple of 15s, a, a couple of 20s. Um, and usually that would accumulate into an hour and a half to two hours throughout the day. And so if I could continue to move, I would. My base weight, because I had a GoPro, uh, so I, I filmed this and, um, you know, you have you know, cords and all the you know, charging block and all that stuff that you need. So I would say my base weight was probably 10, 11 pounds. My pack uh, was a uh, 33 liter. So I got a couple of questions. Um, the the sleeping bag, keeping that dry, did you have like a, like a compactor bag or something you'd put it in or did you rely on the Nashville pack, the, just the Dyneema to keep it well, dry? Well, nothing is ever waterproof, you know, no matter what you ever buy for hiking, it's all bullshit. I mean, unless you're hiking with a wetsuit, nothing's going to keep you dry. And if it rains hard enough, if it rains hard enough, whether it's a trash compactor bag and a pack liner and a pack cover, and it rains hard enough, everything's still going to get wet. So, you know, um, I would just do the trash compactor bag and put my sleeping bag in there. Um, and there were times where the thing was soaking wet. And you're already soaking wet, so you're already wearing your rain gear. So then I would just sleep with all my rain gear on and hope, like, the following day the sun would come out 
and I could lay everything out for, you know, half hour or even an hour sometimes and just get it all dry. The toughest days are when, you know, you're soaking wet and you go to bed, everything's wet. And then you wake up the next day and then you hike all day knowing that the sun never came out. It never got warm enough. And all that stuff that was soaking wet last night is still going to be soaking wet tonight. And you deal with that for two, three days and that, that really wears on you. So, yeah. So you're not carrying like a, like a dry bag as they call them. Well, my electronics. Yeah. Okay. Electronics. But I, some, at some point I, but not for clothing. No, I just stuff my clothing like in my pack. Cause I have this pet peeve where I want my pack to be very like square and like <laughs> it's shape. So I don't, I don't like it to be like this awkward, stupid, like flopping over thing. So yeah. Um, yeah, I would just stuff all my, all my shit in there. Um, you know, I went through um, 17, 18 pairs of socks on this. Um, and I would always wear a, in gingy five-toed liner sock and then i would wear a darn tough lightweight and that would keep friction from happening and it keeps your toes splayed out because after a while they start to want to step on each other so that sock combination um worked perfectly and when one pair of socks was wet i just you know tied them on the back of my pack and just hike go into stores with these nasty sticky socks and you're walking down the aisle and people are like who is this knucklehead because you know remember you know the at and the pct you know people know what those are that live around it but so much of the loop is on these other obscure things where people don't even know there's a trail so when you look like me walking into a store they don't initially go oh well that's a through hiker they're going like yeah like let's get the hell out of here and they're looking at you with one eye and then you go down their aisle and then they like casually walk around and they're like thinking then thinking you're like some vagrant homeless guy you know so um and so and you're you're completely you know what you are you're the guy you know when they have those urban rumors where like someone will be like, I tried to, I almost got abducted at Target or Walmart. Like you're well, the guy that they're I mean, confused about. You know, people are inherently nice. And when you're out doing this stuff, you find that everyone that can help you is going to try and help you. Um, but when you look the way I do, <laughs> you smell the way I do, it's, you ha- I have to always remind myself that what I'm doing is not, really normal and is a very small group of people that do these hikes. I mean, you know, this country has what, 350 million people. And in a given year, you probably have 30,000 through hikers. So the numbers are super small. So, you know, when someone sees me in a store, when I'm in, you know, wherever Arizona, they're not going to go, Oh, that's a through hiker. They're going to go, Oh, poor homeless guy wonder what led his life to get to this point, you know? <laughs> I got a comment on the uh, Outside Magazine picture. They took that, they used that picture you gave him. Probably, I don't know, you look pretty wild. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, oh, did, did the article come out? I didn't even know. I, I, yeah, you're, yeah. I saw it a couple of days ago. I was like, oh, cool. right on. Super oh, cool. cool. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing when was your mustache starts to like grow over your lip. And so when you're trying to eat this food, 
you know, you're, you're always pulling it out of the size and it's, it becomes really annoying. I mean, it's keeping you warm and it's what hikers do. They grow a beard or whatever. But I mean, when I got home, I was like, okay, this thing needs to go. I'm glad I earned it and I'm glad I have it, but it's got to go. And then one day, like close to the end, my Snickers bar was frozen. So I was like trying to like grab it and like break it off. But I grabbed like half of my beard and ripped like... 10 years oh. you know so it was like by that point it's like okay i mean i oh, this man. this thing's got to go this hair's got to be cut and uh <laughs> but yeah i mean it's just one of those things so Amazing. i got two more questions one is first of all i want to know whether or not your feet got bigger and when you bought the shoes like did they not fit because your feet got bigger or, or i forget how that works but then the other thing is you wear glasses so how did you figure how did you manage the logistics because i wear contact lenses and glasses and the short overnights that i do it's always a pain in the ass to deal with i just didn't bring them i mean i'm, I'm nearsighted so um at night night hiking if my headlamp was dying so i just use a usb um and it starts, you know, slowly get dimmer as the battery, you know, goes down. Um, so I would have trouble seeing sometimes at night, but it's not to the point where I have to um, to really wear them to see. So I don't even have wear contacts. I'm either wearing these or I'm not. So that wasn't an issue. Okay. The, the feet, did your feet change at all over the course of 7,000 miles? Yeah, I think they did get slightly wider. So... I told you about that in Gingy sock and the my, my sock combination, the two socks. When I would get my shoes, I wouldn't be able to wear both pairs of socks for the first three days. I needed to break those shoes in a little bit, and then I could go back to that combination. So I wore every pair of shoes for a week, five days to a week before I left for the hike, so I could at least get them a little bit broken in. And then I would just take them off and put them in the box and, and grab a new pair and wear them to work and, and do stuff with them. Um, but, you know, when I started hiking, I was a 10 and now I'm a 12. And um, if it's not a wide enough shoe, I have to go with like a 12 and a half. So like, you know, Ultra makes a wide toe box. Hoka makes a wide toe box and they make a wide. Uh, Topo is like the new good through hiking shoe that you're seeing all of the the, the, the hikers in the know are transferring over to topos because you know ultra's been bought out and they're just their sizing's all different now and stuff so um topo is a good shoe but it's not it's like one millimeter too narrow for me so i would have to break them in and then i would have to pull a liner out and hike without the liner because it was so uncomfortable um, because there was one time in Glacier, my box didn't arrive and I wasn't like I could just, you know, drive down to the local store and buy a new pair of shoes. So I ended up doing 940 miles on one pair of ultras through Glacier and, uh, those were completely blown out and, uh, I ended up having no choice but to buy some Topos and Helena, um, which felt good in the store, but you know, you bang out 35 mile, 40 mile a day and man. You're in mm -hmm. some pain. And that's the thing, man. If you don't find a good pair of shoes, uh, once you do, once you find the right shoe for you, you should just buy like 10 pairs. Because if your feet aren't happy, you're not happy. It doesn't matter, you know, anything. If, if your feet are beat up and blistered and you have too small or too big or whatever it is, I mean, nothing's going to be enjoyable out there. 
So that's that's one thing I always remembered is once I find one pair of shoes, I just buy like 10 pairs. I'm going to use them, but, you know, hmm. they're always changing and they're always hard to find. So, yeah. All right. And then um, just in your personal opinion, in this big circle that you went through, what would you say was the top scenic area that you that stood out to you? Was it Glacier or was it some other area? I mean, there's so many. Um, the Grand Canyon was is the coolest um, visual section of desert hiking I've ever done. So we break it down into environments. Grand Canyon has it for the desert. Um, for mountain sections, um, it's the John Muir Trail in the Sierras. You know, I always tell people it's like walking through a Bob Ross painting. It's incredible. Glacier was really rad too. Um, Yellowstone, that section of the CDT, they kind of keep you over. Um, you go through, you know, uh, Old Faithful Village, but they keep you over on the, the uh, western side of Yellowstone, which isn't as um, beautiful as the eastern side, which I did last year. Um, the San Juans are great too, but, you know, they get windy. And there was a night where I pitched my tent and it was whipping about 60 probably. And at one in the morning, the wind snapped my trekking pole right in half and my tent collapsed right on top of me. And I thought I could ride it out. At first I was like, Man, it's one in the morning. Let me just, let me just sleep till I got like three more hours. I got to get up anyway. But it was so loud. It was like being inside a paper bag. And uh, so I, you know, I had to break everything down at one thirty in the morning in 70 mile an hour winds, make sure nothing flies away and just hike another two miles and burrow myself like in this like section of trees. That was, you know, another 500 feet down, um, you know, but the San Juans were awesome. You know, the hail and the, the lightning and stuff. I mean, that was sketchy, but um you know, it's a really incredible, hard section. It's it's hard because if you, to compare it to the Sierras, the Sierras are relatively flat until you do the passes. And then you have to go up and over the passes. And then you go down and it's flat for a number of miles until you get to your next pass. With the San Juans, it was literally like two to three miles of slow climbs up, up, up. And then two to three miles of slow climbs down, down, down. And in the middle of those mountains, you literally have maybe, if you were lucky, a mile of flat. So you're always going up or you're always going down in the San Juans. And that's what, what makes them so hard. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Cascades were beautiful, too. You know, there was so much snow. We did. We broke trail through the goats, the goat rock wilderness and the uh, the knife's edge. We. We both fell on the knife's edge, but we were able to stop ourselves because um, that would have been bad because I was like a thousand feet to a glacier or whatever. Uh, Sloppy Joe, the other kid, he fell there too, but when he fell backwards, his foot got hooked in the hole that he fell through. Wow. So it held him from tumbling down into the abyss. Um, so we were able to do that section, which was beautiful. Um, Mount Rainier Wilderness was completely covered in snowpack. I think I, I sent you guys a picture of that. Um, 
section and it was just all covered in snow and it was just a gray rainy shitty couple of days um and then yeah north of that the cascades you know we tried to do the um section from snoqualmie to stevens pass but um because of that fall that he had we had to turn around and we had to reassess and reevaluate uh what we were doing out there and basically I said, look, let's just do the PCT carefully until we get out of the snow because we're doing this stuff at a pace where we should we should be having helmets and two ice axes, not one mountaineering axe. We should have crampons, not micro spikes. We should have screws. We should have ropes. We didn't have any of that stuff. You know, we got micro spikes, trail running shorts, and, you know, we're just trying to blast through this stuff. And... Um, it was after that fall that we kind of changed our approach and we decided to take an alternate route around that section. Um, shouldn't have been up there anyway. It was way too dangerous. And uh, we, from there, we just started to do what we could do. And then if it was stuff that was too dangerous, we had to avoid it. So we weren't able to do Glacier Peak. There was too much avalanche danger. There was uh, flood watch warnings, and we knew that Kennedy Creek's bridge had been washed out. Uh, so we couldn't do that. The Three Sisters Mountains couldn't do that. Um, people were going to do it, but they were all ice climbing, mountaineering up, you know. So we, we went around that one. We knocked out Thielson. We knocked out around Adams. Um, and, yeah, we did the Goat Rocks. We did the Knife's Edge, and we were able to do most of the, the good peaks. We, we actually went right across Mount Hood. Um, they were still skiing around us as we were walking <laughs> trail and, uh, yeah. And we got to hit that, you know, all you can eat breakfast buffet, which is pretty epic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was amazing to like, we're hiking this trail that they're skiing on still. And it was this one year, I think someone that was there said it was the first time in 30 years they were going to be open through August because they got that much snow. And I thought, wow, picked a, picked a hell of a year to to do this loop and be up here because this was you know we finished the pct on july 9th and they couldn't even people that wanted to southbound the pct couldn't even start at the northern terminus there was too much snow so people were starting about 500 miles south of that and starting their hike there the road the access road hearts pass was closed um so yeah i mean there was this was july 9th and there was so much snow still couldn't even start on the border of canada it's crazy no can you talk about the injury so just going towards the end of it like and by the way like the um the grand enchantment like that's like the shittiest description for the section of trail like that based on what you're telling me like that should that the name of that trail should be like the shitty <laughs> enchantment or something like um but you you started picking up some injuries right well i mean i I started thinking of what I would call that trail and grand enchantment was definitely not the worst I was going to use. <laughs> um, well, it just, you know, bushwhacking through any bushwhacking through any environment's hard. Yeah. Um, but bushwhacking through the desert's even harder because everything is sharp. You know, everything is formidable. Everything is trying so hard to survive because they don't have a lot of water. So you're, going through these brambles um you know you're getting cut and scratched and just so beat up but i mean i think it was probably right around the start of the grand enchantment where um, the cortisone shots that i had in my knees and my shoulders started to wear out 
And so now it was like, okay, I knew it was going to wear out eventually. I'm actually happy it lasted as long as it did. But yeah, so now you're still trying to push this pace. But, you know, now you've got a shoulder that's bothering you. You've got both knees that are bothering you. Um, and the knee pain is when I was going up or down hills. So we're doing a lot of that. Um, so that that was tough. But come on, you know, I'd gone so long and so hard. I wasn't going to lose it, you know, in the next 30 days or whatever. So, you know, you just do what you have to do. So basically at one point I in wherever I was I went to a dispensary and I got some edibles and that helped me for a little bit because they were CBD infused edibles yeah so I remember being on top of Gray's Peak and I took I took two edibles two caffeine pills and walked off the top of that one smoking a cigarette and this guy was like how's your head feeling right now I'm like you know man it's like doing a whip it <laughs> that just kept going. Um, <laughs> and I didn't even realize I had no more. I was like down to half a liter of water and I chose to do the Argentine spine, which is a much more difficult section of the CDT. Um, so now I've got cotton mouth and I've got no water and I've got to do this like eight mile technical section up and over this knife edge. But, you know, um, my knees didn't hurt too bad at that point. So that was okay. (laughs) And when you, so when you did get to the finish, did you have anybody meeting you there? Was like, um, you know, how did that, how did you wrap it up? My biggest sponsor, Takeo Comfort Solutions. So they, they financially helped with a significant part of this hike. And they were supposed to meet me out on the trail and do some filming. They wanted me to meet some of their um, upper crusty uh, people. Um, but the timing never worked out. And then with the snowpack, I just couldn't figure it out. And I didn't want to deal with, you know, having a stop and chat for a couple hours when I was so focused on what I needed to do. So they kept saying they were going to meet me. And I kept saying, well, we'll see about that. And they never did. And then like three or four days before the end, I talked to their chief marketing exec and he was like, okay, I promise we're sending somebody to the end to meet you. I said, well, okay, but if you show up or one of your guys shows up, you better bring me a bottle of Dom. This was the Great Western Loop. I swear to God, if you show up with a bottle of Corbell... Get back in your car and get the hell out of here. <laughs> so I <laughs> The concert rider. <laughs> uh, Red M and M's. Yo man. <laughs> and so dude, so <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Old brown M and M's. So it's uh, <laughs> a good one. That's good. <laughs> so when I got five minutes before the end, like I could see the sign and sure enough, man, this like brand new black jeep grand cherokee pulls into the parking lot and some dude i don't even know just pops out with a takeout shirt on and starts filming me <laughs> and so i basically was like well this is kind of weird so i just like walked up to him and i think i just like gave him like a fist pump because I, I hadn't touched the sign yet i wasn't done so i'm like i gotta keep going so i went over to the sign i tagged it walked back over to the car he showed me the bottle of Dom that he went to four different liquor stores to find. <laughs> Still had the price tag. I think it was 200, 290 bucks. 
and uh, nice. we had some little plastic champagne flutes and he's not a big drinker he said he only drinks beer so he had a toast with me and then now the bottle's open <laughs> I'm not gonna let that All thing right, go so, to waste so be honest so, was it was it just like a Corbell <laughs> It's all, I mean, it's all branding. <laughs> it totally is. It totally is. I just wanted to see if they were actually going to do it. And then they actually did. So it was awesome. And then they, they gave me a ride to Vegas. They put, they put me up at a, a casino on the strip. And they oh, took geez. me out to, to dinner on the company. And, um, yeah, I got a $190 tomahawk ribeye steak on them. Mike, Mike, and, you might have uh, crossed paths with him. You just out there. <laughs> I, was, uh, I know. I didn't even think about that. I was just out there a couple of weeks ago. I was at Henderson Steakhouse. I don't know. It was great. Oh, nice. And then, yeah, so <laughs> that was it. I mean, the only person at the end was this one guy I didn't even know. <laughs> it was really, It was really funny. Pretty there was epic. No, wasn't really anyone. There, yeah, there was no one in nothing. Um, and, and um, you know, because a lot of people will say they're going to meet you. We want to be there. But, you know, people have their own lives to live, and that's hard. And it was weird because I could actually, you know, you don't know how it's going to feel when it's over because it's been something that has been, it never felt like it would end. It's so long. And I had that injury last year, and I planned for so long yeah. that I never prepared for that. I kind of just felt like I was just going to walk for the rest of my life. So then when I finally saw that sign and I was finally about to complete this thing, um, I was kind of in shock. I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I wasn't going to cry. I wasn't going to like, think, Oh my God, I can't believe I did it. You know, none of that stuff. <laughs> um, so <laughs> you see people at the end of these hikes and like, Oh my God. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah. Oh, so, so basically, I tagged the sign, and then he was like, "Oh, can you say hi to you know all the people in New York?" And so they had a big dinner over in New York for me, and they were all cheering and everything. But it was literally three minutes after I had just tagged the sign, like I hadn't processed anything, you know, and I didn't know what to say, and I was just kind of in shock. So. You know, yeah, it was just a, it was a nice drive back to Vegas with a bottle of Dom and then a, you know, two hundred dollar steak. I think the tab was five hundred, but the guy with me had two beers and a chicken <laughs> thing, so the rest of it was all me, baby. Yeah, it was worth it. And That's then, pretty cool, man. Yeah, you, yeah, you you deserve it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I did it good. And then the next day, flew to Miami, took a day and a half just to you know, hang out on the beach and put my feet in the sand. And then, yeah, from there I flew home. So, and then two days after that, I had knee surgery. Oh. And a week later, here we are. <laughs> now tell us about that a little bit, if you don't mind, about the surgery. The knee surgery? Yeah. Well, I did, I did, yeah, so I did the, um, I had the MRI done in January before I left. Yeah. And so the plan was to do cortisone shots in each knee and in my shoulder. And we'll hope the quads get strong enough to support, you know, what I'm going to put my knees through. And that seemed to, that game plan seemed to work. Um, so when I was on the trail, um, I booked the appointment. I think I was walking. I was, I was on a road walk where I actually had reception. So I called and, and they were able to fit me in, um, on November 9th. So, when 
I had the surgery, they were hoping that I didn't do any more damage, but they basically thought that I had probably completely torn my meniscus. So whatever was left still attached before I left for the hike was certainly going to be completely gone by the time. I can't believe you pulled that off, dude. Yeah, I can't. I can't. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> like well, I mean, full blown meniscal <laughs> destruction, and you're out there just crushing forty miles a day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last, the hardest part, the the most pain was the pavement road walks. Yep. You know that was what hurt because I was just I was stepping. That's how, that's how it was for me. Yeah, you know, because you're, you're stepping. You're stepping. My hip replacement. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I was most comfortable on ascents or descents, but you get me on a, a flat road, miserable. Yeah, yeah, that that was what it was. And um, but you know, you're so close to the end by that point. So this morning, I had my post op, you know, and uh, they said, you know, what's crazy is when we got in there, your meniscus wasn't any more torn than it was when you did the MRI back in January. Wow. So in a crazy way, you just did this hike and you didn't tear any more of it than what you had already torn, Interesting. which I couldn't believe because you think about all the times you trip and fall and slip. And, it's got to be know, those hiking balls. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been, been those ergos, man. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Wow. Who knows? So, so yeah. So this, this one got done. So Cheswick, is this like is this the, the end? Is this the end? Like this is the pin in the uh, the accomplishments, or do you think there's anything in the future? For well, I mean, there's nothing. Again? There's no continuous footpath that's an actual hiking trail that's longer than the loop, right? So to do it in what is 197 days or whatever I did it in, um, and to do the longest one that way, like I, I'm not going to try and top that. There's Nationally. no way for me to top it, and I'm okay. I'm okay with that, right? I'm I'm cool with that. So um, the Hey Duke Trail is a route. Um, so that's Utah, and I haven't done any hiking in Utah, and I hear it's beautiful. So next year, I'm gonna with a buddy of mine. We're gonna link the Hey Duke and the Low to High route, which goes from Death Valley to Mount Whitney, and the Hey Duke's 800. I found some trails in between, I think about 50 miles that can bring me to Death Valley. And then from there, get to Mount Whitney. So it's about a thousand miles. But, you know, I've got this knee surgery. And then in the spring, I have to do my other knee. So um, the best I can do is, you know, knock out something that's a thousand miles in the fall. But um, I need to to take it easy for a little bit. I mean, you only have so much time where your body can handle this kind of stuff, you know, yeah. and to do, you know, I just did just under 12,000 miles in 18 months. So, you know, I'm now that I've slowed down, I'm starting to feel the pain from all of that. So I think it's going to be something next year, but you know, I, the calendar year triple crown, that sounds intriguing. Uh, the PCT, um, yo-yo FKT, that, that seems like there's a lot of meat on the bone there. I think it's like 180 days or something. Um, so there'll probably be one more big one, but after that, uh, I, I don't think my body will be able to, to handle it anymore. How old are you? 
37. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So Skirk, Skirka was 26 when he did it. Uh, Garmeyer, I think, turned 28 on the trail. So, you know. Wow. That's awesome. Never too old to do a hike, but sure. to do this one, um, yeah, 37's basically pushing it. And, you know, knowing that I need two knees, you know, surgeries and, I do need a shoulder surgery too, but um, I think my knees are more important right now. So yeah, um, you know anyone can do all those hikes—the AT, PCT, CDT—but to do this one in a calendar year, you probably don't want to be any um, any older than probably 35. But my buddy Fish did his version of the loop last year and he was 49 when he did it and he tore his ACL in the Sierras and he still hiked all the way around and then got into Western Colorado and mm. finished that way because he had already done the Grand Enchantment Trail. He knew how much of a nightmare it was. So he skipped that in his loop last year. Very smart, very <laughs> smart. But, you know, he was 49. So I met him on the trail and I was like, okay, I'm the oldest and you're the fastest. It was, that was pretty cool. Interesting. So, um, any plugs, any donations, anything like, do you need money that we need to pay you? Like what's going on? What do you, what yeah, do you, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Hook me up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, so we were, we were able to, to raise enough money. Um, I think we get 455 people, uh, access to clean drinking water for life. So that, that was big. Um, so, Chris Long Foundation, okay. you know, they they were able to, to make that happen. So my website was basically just a way to get people to go to their website to donate to do that. So that was wonderful. Um, I actually need to thank you guys because after I had the podcast with you last time, two days later, EMS, Eastern Mountain Sports, got a hold of me and uh, they said, great. make us a wish list, make us a wish list because um, we heard you on the podcast. So I think I said something about like I'm, you know, I'm not big on social media, so I, I get, uh, I didn't get some sponsorships because of that, and they, they were like, you know what, we respect what you're doing, the challenge of what you're doing, and we just want to help you any way that we can. So they hmm. told me to make a wish list, and I did, and they sent me everything I asked for, oh, um, except fantastic. for the $600 garment. The six hundred dollar Garmin watch I tried to sneak into that wish list and they couldn't get me that, but I had to try, right? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, EMS. Oh, EMS has been awesome. Yeah, they they hooked me up, and then um, North Country Chiropractor they hooked me up, or Coas County Chiropractor, um, and Nashville Packs obviously, and you know my buddy um, Dallas Ransom Multimedia. You know he built the site and he kept it going. And he uploaded the pictures. He would be in touch with all these companies. And then, so, I mean, he was like, you need to have a team around you to do this. You know, I couldn't have done it without a number of people. And Dallas was like my go-to guy for logistics and, and stuff going forward on the trail. So I met him with 10 trail miles and now I've got over 18,000. So, you know, he was a, a huge help, him and his wife, Myra. And, um, and then obviously take comfort solutions, you know, not a lot of people get paid to do these things. You know, you get free gear and, you know, you get sponsorships of shoes and whatnot, but they literally gave me a significant amount of money 
just to let me go do this. And that was really awesome. And they didn't, they didn't want too much. You know, I had to hold a banner at the end and, um, Hmm. you know, do, do a few other things and do some, you know, probably some meet and greets and whatever, but, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, all those companies were, were great and I was happy to have them. I was lucky to have them and I, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So, you know, um, it was awesome that they allowed me to, to just do the hike the way I wanted to do it. I didn't feel like I had to compromise. I didn't have to incessantly post on Instagram and I didn't have to do all of these Facebook things. I just did it the way that I would do it and they were okay with that. And, um, hmm. and that's the thing is you have to do it your way. And if you feel like you're compromising for, you know, notoriety or, or for or social media followers, you know, this is not a hike that's going to allow for that kind of bullshit. You need to focus on what you need to do every single day and you need to do your best. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was able to do that and, 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 uh, I feel, feel very lucky, you know? Absolutely. Very lucky. Yeah. And Stomp, this guy's, he's a real man. He didn't cry at the end. He ate a big giant steak. Not like you cry. Stomp cried when he finished his 4,000 footers. You know. little, oh, that's why you laugh so hard when I said A little bit of perspective. And he had, he had, he had tofu instead of steak. So he's not like you, Cheswick. <laughs> I'm just a boy. You're a real man. Holy shit. This is so inspiring, man. And, but but just know we're like providing you this Whoa. this free service here on the podcast to like cathartically get through this whole adventure that you're still trying to process. <laughs> so you're gonna get our psychology bill. Oh yeah. <laughs> there you go. No. The thing, the thing that bo- the one thing that I think bothers me, Cheswick, is that like you're so you're one of the more prolific like long distance hikers in the area. But like I feel like you don't vibe that much with New Hampshire. Like you, I know you've done a lot of hiking around here, but like you don't you don't get jazzed up with like the the, the White Mountain hiking stuff like we do. Right. Like I, I did. Well, he grew up what here. What can we do to change your mind? Well, I did like the four thousand footers just to train. You know, so I was just like, okay. Like I don't count. Yeah. Like when I when I say I have you know over eighteen thousand trail miles, those are just my long distance hikes. I don't count you know the yeah. red lines and the four thousand footers. I don't even know you know what that is. But I love all these hikes around here. Um, but yeah, it's 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 weird. I don't do. It's a bigger world. If I'm not yeah, if I'm not training, getting ready for one of the big ones, I'm not doing too much hiking. And that's probably because I spend, you know, half the year out, out in the woods that I kind of yeah. don't want to do it uh, too much when I'm home. And then also half the time when I'm home, I'm recovering from an, an injury, you know. I mean, you have the broken <laughs> foot last year. I had a broken leg right before the PCT. I had a broken shoulder for seven years when I did the ECT. So, um, yeah, I have all these surgeries that I always have to do. and. And then in the meantime, I'm either working to save up for this next adventure that I'm doing. So, um, you know, I like to, I mean, I like to knock out all the hikes, and I do. I mean, you guys ever hiked Pine Mountain in New Hampshire? Yeah, Pine yeah. Pine Mountain. I love pine. It's o- yeah. over in Gorham. Have, no. You haven't done Pine Mountain? That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, it's a great. You can actually go from yeah. there. It's that little chapel thing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's that Jesus Freak camps like right down the street or whatever. But 
Yeah. Like you can, <laughs> you can do <laughs> from that parking lot in Gorham, you can literally get to the top of Mount Washington through there. So mm-hmm. I like to do, if I, oh, if I'm, I if I'm, you. I know where it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if I'm doing hikes, I like to do like these really obscure ones that don't get used a lot that aren't like the popular ones because so many of our trails are great but you know if you're doing my washington in august you're dealing with you know people from down south and so yeah i'm always doing some stuff that's more obscure and kind of in the middle of nowhere and uh it's amazing our trail system it's so vast for the size of our state how many trails we have it's it's absolutely insane um so yeah i mean i don't know maybe this summer we can go out and we can knock out a, a four thousand footer if you wanted to or yeah something. yeah we'll uh Just let me know we'll get you out there before your next big long long hike or something but uh but cheswick we want to thank you so much for coming on like i think that this is probably i think what you did is one of the most significant accomplishments within hiking that i can imagine and i think even just athletic endeavors in general you know you hear about ultra runners and you hear about um, people that do these marathons and all this stuff and i think the the amount of sort of intestinal fortitude and focus and drive that it takes to do something like this i don't think people realize um you know, I think a lot of people that are involved in the hiking will realize it, but I don't think the general public realizes just how amazing an accomplishment this was for you to uh, to complete this. I mean, it's just it's incredibly impressive, and we're very honored that you would sit down with us and and listen to our dumb questions. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really I really do appreciate it. No, those those questions are pretty good. I like those questions. You guys are good interviewers. Yeah, I think it. Uh I think it takes a little more than intestinal fortitude. It might be <laughs> testicular fortitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like a, it's eating, a wiring thing for sure. Unless you're eating ramen for like 200 days straight, then it might be intestinal. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's like some foods now that I, I can't even go close to. I can't do peanut butter. I can't do ramen. I bet. I can't do Pop-Tarts. Like, all that stuff. Like, when I'm home, I don't eat it at all. I'm so done with it. And then another thing that was I was really lucky was I didn't have to deal with a single fire closure on the entire hike, which is amazing out west. That's great. There was a lot. Yeah, Sequoia got shut down. Um, Northern Cali, Syed Valley, they would you know, put people in Ashland, Oregon for a while. So the whole West coast got on fire again. And, um, CDT, I lucked out on, I didn't have to deal with any fires. There was one, I think in salmon, Idaho. So that one thing, not having to deal with fires was very lucky for me because if you want to hike out West, fires are going to be one thing that you're going to have to deal with. And it was amazing that I didn't. So, Hmm. Yeah, that was that was one one That's thing awesome. the Trail Gods hooked me up with. I do really appreciate that one. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm glad I did it, and uh, can can you know set my life bar up pretty high now. And, and um, yeah, I'm I'm happy and I'm content. You know, it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done, the hardest thing I ever will do, and uh, you know it. Um, as hard as it was, it it was absolutely one hundred percent worth it. But 
I don't know if I could do it again. You know, I, it, it took everything I had and then some, you know, it took all my money. It took, it took everything, you know, and, uh, you could, it, by the end it was kind of like, okay, I'm ready for this to be over. And, uh, and yeah. you know, cause it, it just, it's almost so much gas you have in the tank, you know, and by that time, man, I was running on empty for sure. And I was ready for it to be finished. So. Well, yeah. I know you're still kind of processing it, but um, again, we appreciate you coming on, and um, you know we're going to get this pushed out, and I think you'll you'll probably be able to hear it tomorrow. I think as it's it's coming out. So thank you so much again, Cheswick, and Absolutely. stop anything else before we wrap up. No, man, I think we covered a lot of ground, and I hope to see you on the snowmobile trails this season Chaz yeah man I'm looking forward to it oh absolutely it'd be great yeah you definitely. keep me posted okay I will to get some of these listeners out there good <laughs> yeah definitely well hey guys yeah thanks for having me take care alright that's a wrap thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify Podbean YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know where they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.